0: The Reverend John Cairns served as pastor of this congregation from 1989 to 1999. And many of you experienced John's faithful ministry here, whether through his gifts of preaching or teaching or his strong commitments to social justice. In fact, I was privileged to work with John for a time in Chicago before we came here to Rochester. We have conveyed our sympathy to Betsy and the family this week as we learn the news of the death, of John's death, on Wednesday. A memorial service will be held a week from tomorrow at the First Church in Sarasota, where John and Betsy have been active. Betsy's address is available by contacting the church office if you'd like to be in touch. I would invite us to continue to be in prayer for the Karen's family in this season of grief and gratitude as we remember John's ministry and life, as we pray in support of the family and give thanks to God for his life and for God's good news. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we continue to work our way through this Advent season, We ask you to help us to keep our lamps trimmed and burning because the time is drawing nigh. Amen. Our gospel lesson, friends, this morning comes from the first six verses of the third chapter of Luke's gospel. Let us hear God's word. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Ituraea and Trichonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Advent is not Lent exactly, but they're not exactly different either. Alongside the arrival of purple investments in and anapendia, both seasons can be seasons of reflection as we prepare for what is to come. I know Lent has a certain solemnity associated with it, but, but Advent might as well a time to ask big questions of faith and life. After all, if the birth of Jesus, the coming of God incarnate into the world doesn't make us pause and take stock, what will? As Becky has reminded us, Advent offers us John the Baptist, and my questions this morning are prompted by his life and ministry also coupled with the reading from the book of the prophet Malachi that Mary read just a moment or two ago. The questions are also prompted by the moment in which we live, this cultural and political moment in which we find ourselves. And so almost by necessity, the questions I'm living with, perhaps you're living with, are uneasy questions. They're questions that can lead to messy or challenging answers. But I think they're the right questions. They come to my inbox every day in one form or another in the articles I receive. They come when I watch the news on my television or on my phone. They come in conversations with you all. So I presume they're coming in conversations we all are having. They're not new questions. They're old as the prophets. They are as old as the life of Jesus. They are as old as John Calvin or Martin Luther King Jr. And yet, their specific form and sense of urgency is new and timely and specific. Yesterday at our Advent retreat, we asked a simple question if Advent means to come, and that's what it means, what do you hope is coming? What do you want to come? Now, some of the answers, of course, were personal, family and children and grandchildren, but several in the group articulated and the gathering seemed to reach a consensus that one thing we all wanted to come was a different tone in our politics, civility, respect, Perhaps that response had a particular undertone to it, I don't know, we did not ask, but it was a universal affirmation, I can tell you that. And so I wonder, what is the relationship between faith and politics? And I wonder, how do our faith commitments lead us to political action? And what happens when we disagree? This needs to be a biblical conversation, the search for responses to these questions. And the good news is that it can be found there. Malachi speaks of God sending a messenger. Now we'll get to that in a bit. The messenger will purify. We don't like that word, purify. We're wary, and rightly so, of purity, But here, though, it means something different. It means removing impurities like a fire does with a precious metal. Still, there's burning involved and cleaning with a a very strong soap. But to what end? To what end does this purification happen? So that our faith might be worthy to offer back to God. We will be refined. And purified until we present ourselves to God in righteousness. Not self-righteousness. Righteousness. Righteousness in biblical Hebrew is always paired with justice, as in justice and righteousness. God wants our faith to be worthy. But that worthiness in large part means how we live our lives, our ethics, our values. And yes, our politics. And then we encounter John the Baptist. Well, I must confess, intimidates me. John's task was to proclaim a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And we don't like those words either, repentance and sins. But here they are. And if we think for a moment, we know that those are the right words on a personal level. We know there are behaviors and attitudes that need refining and purifying, that need the good and hard work of repentance, a course correction, a change of direction. And the same is true communally, whether in the life of this congregation or in the life of the world. So yes, our personal ethics and our values and our communal ones as well, and yes, our politics. John the Baptist, clearly a messenger like the one envisioned by Malachi, channels the prophet Isaiah in calling for us to prepare, to straighten out what's crooked, to smooth out what is rough. That has many implications, but I can't help but believe That our preparations for the coming of the Christ child must include paying attention to matters of justice and righteousness in the world. And so that first question, the relationship between faith and politics, not whether, but what. If we are being refined and purified in order to perform acts of righteousness, what does that look like? If our repentance leads us to acts of justice, what does that look like? Not whether, but what? In the history of Presbyterianism in the United States, there was a doctrine called the spirituality of the church. Now that meant, to those who were proponents and practitioners, that the church was to focus exclusively on spiritual matters not earthly ones. Now that doctrine was wrong, I believe, and more than wrong. For example, it allowed slavery to be rationalized away as a topic not appropriate for the church even to consider, allowing good Presbyterians to be comfortable in their piety while either ignoring or more so even justifying The evil practice of human enslavement. But it's not just that. Justice and righteousness take on many forms, and we repeatedly get our marching orders from the Bible itself. They are clear and compelling. When the prophets tell us to pay attention to the sojourner and the widow, or to offer a portion of our harvest to the refugee, then faith and politics meet. When Jesus tells his followers to let the children to come to him, then how can faith and politics not meet as we think about public education or the devastating impact of poverty on our youngest neighbors? When Paul says there is no Jew or Greek, no male or female, faith and politics meet again as we engage issues of sexism and homophobia and transphobia, beginning with a discussion of ethics and values that leads inevitably to matters of policy and the public good. Which leads to the second question. Where does all this take us? What happens when there is disagreement or even conflict? You will remember Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail. Recipients of that letter were people like me, white religious leaders in the city of Birmingham. So it's not a theoretical question. The white leaders were telling King two different things being from atlanta this was not his fight and being person of faith this was not his fight they were wrong on both counts faith a commitment to justice and righteousness leads inevitably to action and where faith is involved there can be no borders There can be choices, of course. Some will choose to work on this, some will choose to work on that. The Spirit will call us to one place or another, to one tactic or another. This congregation was called to engage matters of race and slavery and abolition in the 1800s. But not always easily, and not ever unanimously in the 20th century and into the 21st, our call has been around matters of gender and sexuality and inclusivity and equality, whether the ordination of women or the ordination of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and queer Presbyterian friends. Those of you who have been here longer than I remember conversations that were robust and vigorous and rarely unanimous. That's why we need refining and purifying and repentance. That's why we need course corrections, changes of direction that will lead us ever more deeply to justice and righteousness, but not self-righteousness. I worry now, and I worry a great deal right now, that the move to self-righteousness is such an easy one to make. Because what it looks like right now is an insistence across the spectrum that a particular political position is the only legitimate trajectory of a particular faith position. That if you are a follower of Jesus, you can only believe one thing about a thing. Or conversely, if you believe a different thing about a thing, you can't possibly be a person of faith, a a follower of Jesus, a Christian. No party has a monopoly on religious ethics. That's very dangerous territory. It is self-righteous, and it leaves no room for the spirit. Even now, certain things seem clear. It would be hard to maintain a pro-slavery position and profess yourself to be Christian in 2018, if it ever was that easy. But can there be gray area? Or some matters. Or perhaps even purple areas on others where red and blue can come together into something new. Which is to say, faith and politics, yes. But faith that insists on a particular partisan position and that dismisses others, No. We can debate ideas, and we should, with a core set of values in front of us about immigration or choice or gun violence. But we can't say, let's not talk about this, and we can't vilify or demonize those who disagree with us, particularly by using our faith as a means to exclude, which is self-righteousness at its worst. Let's not fall prey to that argument on either side of it, either either as a giver or receiver. An argument that is strong and pervasive right now, that if you are Christian, you must have a certain set of political beliefs. Or that if you do hold a set of beliefs, you can't possibly be a person of faith. That cannot be a faithful product of the faith and politics question. It simply can't. Which means we will disagree, of course. It means that conversations can be difficult and messy and unsettling. Great risk is involved. But faith is not a spectator sport, and mature faith can handle that. And after all, we all need purifying and refining and repentance. So we don't bury our heads. And we can't shrug our shoulders. And we can't avoid simply to maintain an uneasy peace. The Bible won't allow it. John the Baptist won't allow it. Jesus won't allow it. And even so, there are plenty of needs where we can find common ground that will make a difference in the world as we come together. And just one thing more we look at the prophets. And we look at the Baptist, John the Baptist. We look at Jesus. We look at people like Martin Luther King or contemporary prophetic leaders. And our tendency is to offload and outsource responsibility for all of this to people like them. That won't fly. Biblical faith. And certainly a Presbyterian version of biblical faith insists that all are messengers, that all are prophets, that all are called to prepare the way, all of us, so that John's story is our story, which feels daunting, but also true. So may we use these days of Advent as we prepare our hearts and our home and our world for the coming of the Christ child, a baby who as a man will judge, rule the world with truth and grace. Let us be open to the ways we need to be refined and purified. Let us take stock in our own lives and in the life of the world of what repentance will look like. And then let us get on that prophetic highway, knowing there are travelers to join us. And let us prepare a way, not only for Jesus, but for all of God's children, a way marked by reconciliation and joy, by justice and righteousness, so that whatever we offer will be pleasing to God And so that all flesh, all flesh, shall see the salvation of God. Amen.